Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osier continue their discussion on Article 17 of the Augsburg Confession on Christ's return and final judgment. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. All right, we're back for more. Back for more end timesy discussion. Eschatology, yes. as it were. Yeah. Article 17 of the Augsburg Confession. Talking about Jesus coming back, all that. Just making sure we're talking about Jesus. The whole point of eschatology is to deliver, to deliver Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again, and to remind us that in the midst of suffering, mm-hmm. Jesus won, and he's coming back for us. That, the, like, if you were to summarize the book of Revelation in, in one sentence, Jesus is risen, Jesus won, and Jesus is coming back. Mm-hmm. And you got 20 chapters worth of Revelation right there, 22 chapters of Revelation. Yeah, and even just being content with that feels like should be enough. And you know, when I say it feels like when I say that to you know friends that you know maybe have some kind of wild views of the end times, they feel like that's not enough. Like we got to talk about more. But there's there's a, a lot of sufficiency in what you just said. Of there's a, there's a lot of sufficiency, and and let's let's be fair and charitable here, according to the eighth commandment, just for a moment. Christians do have a call at several places to be watchful and to be ready. And it's Ezekiel, Mm -hmm. a couple places in the epistles, Jesus. To be watchful and be ready does not mean that you need to be a pundit on Fox News. It does not mean you have to be an expert on current events. To be watchful... But you do need to have read the Left Behind series. You do, yeah. Yeah. Thoroughly. And... We should have a spinoff podcast where it's just like Brett audio book version reading (laughs) Left Behind. He can read that and then The Late Great Planet Earth Uh, by Hal Lindsey. Yeah, I was going to bring that one up too. No, but, you know, it's there's this tongue-in-cheek thing, which I, I think is worth attacking. We are not called in being watchful to have a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other hand. The minor prophets in the other hand. Yeah, exactly. Or... Whatever, it's the the call to be watchful is not a geopolitical call. The call to be watchful is a call to repentance, mm-hmm. and it's a call to the assurance of the gospel, and it's a call to the church to be about the business of the church. And the business of the church is to be standing on the truth, proclaiming law and gospel in society for the purpose of salvation. And, and and we stop there. There is there is nothing different about eschatology than there is in any other area of theology with this. In in we mentioned this last episode, and I will harp on this until my dying day. Revelation is not a different class of scripture. Uh, eschatology is not a different class of theology. We don't treat it differently. The same principles apply. Uh, we need to realize that. It's preaching Christ and him crucified to the Always. end of time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. To be about the work of evangelist, which is to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And and to be watchful is to be aware that we have the promise from Christ that he can return at any time. And if Christ can return at any time, the call is for us 
to be repentant. And the call is for us to call others to repentance that we might have the words of the gospel on our lips at all times. Yeah, to remember that when you say you can come at any time, nothing more needs to happen because the gospel is accomplished at the cross and the resurrection, right? And there's nothing more we're looking for in this. One of the things that stands out to me actually in this in this uh, article here is it talks about he will raise all the dead. We talk about that a lot, right? Yeah. We talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Uh, the resurrection of the dead each time we confess the Apostles' Creed together. Um, and one of the things that becomes very personal to us, and, and we've all lost somebody we've loved, right? And and mine, my my dad passed away about six years ago. Passed away, I used that phrase. Nah. That, that previous, yeah. He died. He's dead. Yeah. And um, I know that because I put his ashes in the ground. Uh, all that to say, very crassly, you know, is that on that moment when I laid my dad's uh, urn in the ground, or the, the box that I had built for his uh, as they call them, cremains, the thing that I clung to most vividly in that moment, I will always remember that moment, kneeling down in my suit and laying him in the grave that I literally had dug in the cemetery myself, was that that's not where he would stay. And that resurrection of the dead, that picture of of how God is going to raise all the dead uh, back to physical bodies, not just spiritual bodies, Physical bodies that are perfect in every way uh, is something that stands out to me in this article. And that that resurrection is a a powerful promise. I think the resurrection of the dead is the most underappreciated and neglected benefit of the gospel Hmm. that is proclaimed in Scripture. Or if you want to use the list in the Apostles' Creed or or whatever it is, it's the church is really not doing a good job of applying the hope of the resurrection. Uh, And, you know, I preached about it today in chapel. I talk about it regularly. Part of the problem is, and we talked about this with the previous article, Christians were really uncomfortable with death. Uh, We avoid it. We we say passed away (laughs) instead of died. (laughs) We have celebrations of life instead of funerals. But without death... There can't be a resurrection. In the resurrection, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have the hope that we're all going to rise from the dead. But the the bigger problem, and this is what I preached about in the chapel service this morning, is less or more so than being uncomfortable with death, everyone is really uncomfortable with grief. We don't know what to do when someone mourns. And it's because... We think, as Christians, everything should be happy-go-lucky and, <laughs> and wonderful all of the time. And no, death is is sad. De- you know, the, the, people say death is a natural part of life. No, it's the ending of a life. There's nothing natural about it. Death was not God's plan, period. Now, it's not to say he's not sovereign and, and not to say that he has overcome death, but... Death is outside of God's intent for for human life. Yeah. (laughs) Death itself, it's interesting. You talk about a theology of the body. A good book on that is uh, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. But the the picture of the theology of the human 
person is such that God created Adam from the dust. He formed him. And then what did he do? He breathed life into him, right? And so you have this this body and this soul that are united. And that's what makes the person. Death is a, a rending of that unity and, and therefore is an aberration, really, ultimately. Now, it had to happen. And, and he, he you know, all of these things are true. But it was a consequence of the fall, that those two would be rendered. And and what we see in the resurrection of the dead is that those are put back together, mm-hmm. incorruptible. Yeah. You are not redeemed to turn into a ghost like Star Wars. Like the, the whole point of life is that you weren't going to be standing next to Obi-Wan <laughs> and Yoda and whatever version of Anakin Skywalker the movies have in there at this point. That, that, that's not the outcome. That, that, that's yeah. that kind of ancestor worship that happens yeah. in Eastern culture. The, the, you are redeemed because your body and your soul belong together. And again, the church, we don't talk about this. Eternity is a physical existence. It is tangible. It is real. They talk about the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation. We're, we're, we're not redeemed mm-hmm. to be ethereal spirit creatures playing harps on clouds in in come some kind of euphoric blissful haze for all eternity the the story of revelation and in fact the story of scripture scripture opens with god's perfect creation in the garden of eden mm-hmm. adam and eve fall into sin the rest of scripture is god's march marching us mm-hmm. back to the garden of eden through the blood of christ mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that's revelation culminates with humanity, yeah. redeemed humanity, back in the garden. Yeah, praise It's a Lord. powerful picture. Yeah, really is. Yep. Um, any any more comments on the resurrection of the dead in, in in that light? I think that may be a good place to leave no, that. Or well, we could we any, could talk about the resurrection. Yeah, over, I mean, right. you you can't even really tap into that resource sure. and the glorious thing. Uh, at this point in time, the, the, there is glorious hope. Uh, for those, like you said, who have lost loved ones, who are mourning the mm-hmm. death of loved ones. Yeah. This includes those who mourn for the, the death of their unborn child. Like yeah. stillborn mm-hmm. babies oh, yeah. fall into this category. That There's a resurrection of the body for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, you know, the hope of being united with people we love for all eternity yeah. is a powerful... It's not escapism. It's, yeah. a, it's a, the real outcome of the gospel. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I remember preaching a sermon on that First Thessalonians 4 passage one time. And and I just remember seeing just how people were encouraged by the gospel in that of, you know, seeing the those that have gone before us raised uh, to life. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's a powerful thing it, that meets us in our grief. And, and I think that's probably the last point before we move on to the next topic is, you know, there's this verse in Thessalonians, we grieve, mm-hmm. but not as those who do not have hope. Mm-hmm. The answer to grief and to death is not lack of grief. It's not get over it. It's not move on. It's well, your answer to someone who you need to comfort in your life is not, you know, well, this was God's will. They're in a better place. God, God, needed, another, there. Yeah, God needed another angel. God doesn't need anything. He certainly doesn't need any more angels. He can just create them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but the answer is when, when someone needs to be comforted, the comfort is the resurrection. The comfort is yeah. the gospel. Yep. You know, it's, we, we don't need to deny death or deny its sting. The, you know, the follow the pattern of 1 Corinthians 15 where the sting of death is, or so the power of death is the law and the sting of death is hell. But where, O death, is thy sting? That whole mm-hmm. passage 
thanks be to God who's given us the victory yeah. in Jesus Christ right. our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the outcome for your dead loved one, and, and this is not to sound crass, but we have to address it straight on. The outcome for your dead loved one in Christ is that death is not the final word. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what gave me peace as I laid my dad's mm-hmm. ashes in the ground. You know, that, that promise is, and, and I've dealt with a lot of grief in the parish. Um, interestingly enough, that became a huge part of my ministry um, when I was a pastor in Pittsburgh. And uh, grief ministry was a big part of that. And that's what we, we point people to. We point them to the gospel, which culminates in the resurrection um, through the one who is the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, we do not point to the gospel as escapism, mm-hmm. and we do not point to the gospel merely as therapeutic. Mm-hmm. We 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 uh, we point to the gospel as achieved and completed reality, and, and that's why it's comforting, yep. and that's yep. why it provides hope. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, thanks, guys. That that's that's awesome stuff there uh, for us and. You know, I almost hate to go in this direction, but, you know, part of this article is just pointing out false opinions or, or um, you know, there's always the, the section, you know, condemned are the, yeah. you know, <laughs> which, you know, we're not just trying to be Mr. Nice Guy, but there comes a time where we have to say, this know, is error. This is error. This is right. out of bounds. Yep. And so, you know, these guys, uh, you know, here dealing with the Anabaptist, then, you know, the Jewish opinions uh, here. So uh, let's start with the Anabaptist here. What what were they, uh, <laughs> what, what specifically in this article um, are they dealing with with the Anabaptists? Well, I think, first of all, let's clear up. The Anabaptists today are like the Hutterites or the... Um, the Amish or Mennonites. The Mennonites, especially. Yeah. The Amish, too. It's Those are the heirs of the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists aren't the precursors to the Baptists. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some overlap in some of the theology. Now, uh, this is a blind spot in my own theology. I do not know if this is currently the official position oh. of the Mennonites or the Amish or the Hutterites or any of the other ites that might have, you know, come from Menno Simons or, or whoever else. <laughs> yeah. uh, but what is being condemned about Anabaptist theology here is that uh, there will be an end to punishment for all the condemned and for the devils. Right, so mm-hmm. there, there are two ways to look at this. Um, the The obvious outcome is that what we are condemning in this is annihilationism. Right, that you either are saved to eternity or you are obliterated out of existence. Right. Uh, we we reject annihilationism, or we reject universalism. That in the end, God relents and everyone gets in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not permitted by Scripture to teach either one of those. Mm-hmm options because of the teaching in scripture about hell and because of the teaching of scripture about sin. And again, this goes, this caps off the last five minutes of the previous episode where we talked about God is just, God will and must judge sin. But but the fact is not that that God is exclusive or, or God is being cruel to exclude everyone. God can't possibly be cruel to exclude anyone when he's provided a free way for everyone to be saved. Right. You know, so, so we, we confess with sadness and with heaviness of heart mm-hmm. that God judges the sins of man. And if they refuse to believe the gospel, that they will be condemned for all eternity to hell. Mm-hmm. 
It's hard for me to understand um, where some of these individuals would come from if they're looking at Scripture. Uh, because Jesus himself talks about that, right? When he's talking about consequences. Weeping and gnashing of you know, teeth. And, yep. and, he, and he, if I'm not mistaken, um, doesn't it refer to eternal punishment? Mm-hmm. You know, he specifically talks about both the, the salvation and the condemnation being eternal. I I think, I, I might be wrong on this, I think most Western civilizations have some concept of hell, the underworld, and judgment for the unworthy mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. That that itself, in itself, is pretty indicative of, of, of a prevailing philosophy mm-hmm. that you don't really have a sense of annihilationism in that way. But, you know, it's... All this ends up being, and maybe this is uncharitable, and maybe it's even historically inaccurate. From my perspective, all this ends up being is to soften the blow of actual yeah, judgment, right. to make us feel better about the the things that we're uncomfortable with confessing. And mm-hmm. we're really just not allowed to go there by Scripture. And again, it's we don't judge evil vengefully. That's God's business. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Yeah. We, we judge evil... Because we're required to by the character of God. And I mean, this is so easily discussed on an apologetics level by the concept of human justice. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if you took a known and convicted criminal, stood him in front of a judge for sentencing, and the judge says, never mind, doesn't matter, you're free to go. Everyone in the world, that judge would be deposed he might even be incarcerated. He might be tarred and feathered and executed by a mob, depending on the crime he was, you know, excusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, we totally expect God to do that with the crimes that have been committed against him. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, you know, like I said, I don't know why people would go in that direction. Mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> and I, I've not looked into this nearly enough, but John Stott um, him, you know, the the famous theologian in many ways, great, wrote a commentary on the uh, the Sermon on the Mount and different things. Solid biblical, um, kind of, a, and we use that word loosely, evangelical, right? Um, he he himself held to this annihilationism, and he talked about that. But interestingly enough, you're talking about softening the blow. Um, as as I've heard his position kind of described before, not from him, but from others, uh, he talked about how his father had died an unbeliever. And so for him, annihilationism was a, a way, I, I think in more, so, I don't know if he would define it this way, right? Or if he would have, but the idea of, oh, I, I've got to soften that reality for my dad. Mm-hmm. And and that was something in his mind, but it's, it, you know, biblically, we just can't get there. And, and maybe this is just briefly a time for us to remind all Christians mm-hmm that it, it, it's not given to us in Scripture to be the gatekeepers of eternity. Now, we have the keys to the kingdom, but that's the proclamation of law and gospel. Who mm-hmm. ultimately gets in uh, is the work of the Spirit through the proclamation of the Word. You know, we, we simply judge in our estimation by the fruits, but God knows the heart. God knows where a person is at. God knows, you know, on those deathbed conversions, what has and what has not happened. And I think when Christians debate these topics, we err far too quickly, far too quickly on um, being the ones who said, this guy's in, this guy's not in. And we need to be very careful about doing that. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> one more topic here before we go. Maybe we don't have time here, but uh, the Jewish opinions uh, here in the, <laughs> in this. I know the listener doesn't see this, but in Jason's notes, he wrote, who boy. Who yeah. doggy. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the crass Jewish opinions in the millennium. We will say uh, in two episodes, we'll be talking about this yeah. in, in greater detail. When we're we're going to get to the millennium and in, in millennialism. But uh, there, there are a couple ways to understand this. Uh, I'm not an expert, but I have done some digging on what this is being referred to, and, it, and especially during the Renaissance period and in the Middle Ages and the medieval period, there was a prevailing belief by the Jews, which, pause, not a Christian philosophy. So it, the, the Jewish millennium already exists apart from the reign of Christ, okay, where it, it is my understanding that the Jewish millennium was entirely crass and carnal. Uh, I, I've read some that would indicate the Jews believe, uh, the Jews of the day at least, honestly never talked with uh, any Jewish person that I know about their, ta- their thoughts on eschatology. In, uh, uh, but uh, the Jews of, of the day, the time of the Reformation, uh, at least some of them believed that the, the millennium uh, coming out of what they believed in the Old Testament uh, was a free license to sin and indulge in carnal pleasures. Um, there are uh, at this point, and again, we'll clarify, yeah. uh, there are Lutherans who believe uh, that Article 17 rules out any possibility of any interpretation of Scripture apart from the all-millennial system of interpretation. But there are also Lutherans and Christians that believe that what is being condemned here is a carnal understanding of the millennium and, and isn't necessarily ruling out what we would call or understand a historical premillennial interpretation of Scripture, which historical premillennialism different than dispensational premillennialism and you know i'm just stacking up cans of worm for us to open but (laughs) two more episodes we'll get there and and we'll do our best to talk about those topics but yeah we're 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 rejecting more of a hedonistic carnal system than anything else Mm -hmm. okay cool uh, well, maybe we should wrap up here and. We and, better wrap uh, up now wrap before I drop any other bombs that we heard. Cans of worms to chew on. Yeah, we don't want to mix any more metaphors yeah, either. No, so. no, we'll, we'll stop that. All, All right. right. Yep, come back next time for our episode on the Old Testament. Daniel 9. Daniel 9. Whoop, whoop. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great day.